As a fishing show host and fishing guide, I get all kinds of questions about improving your skills, and many of those questions are commonly asked by people over and over again. So we're going to address some of those on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or any one of 133 stores nationwide. They've been a longtime supporter of all things Fishful, and they would appreciate your support in return. Guys, for almost 20 years, I've been a professional uh, fisherman, media guy, TV show host, uh, tournament angler, fishing guide, uh, you name it. I've been in the fishing business for a long time. And I noticed over the years I get the same questions. And I get that same question once a week for years on end. I get it from all different kinds of anglers, uh, but the questions are always very similar. And I thought we'd go through some of those today and how I would address them or avoid them, uh, as the case might be in your own angling. So we're going to run through a few of those. And I want to point out that my answers are my answers. You might have a different answer, and the next guy might have a different answer. And there's no wrong answers in fishing, but some answers are better than others. And I will tell you that my answers have been proven over a long run of doing this for a living in a wide variety of scenarios. And that's the the biggest key is if you fish one area and do one thing, you aren't quite as exposed, let's just say, to all different kinds of stuff. So traveling all around the country and fishing all kinds of stuff with all kinds of different people. I might be fly fishing in the mountains one day and then the next day be trolling for walleye, and then the next day be, you know, pitching grass lines for bass, and then the next day, you know, throwing topwater baits for snook in Florida. So it's a wide variety of stuff, and the fundamentals apply across the board. And so that's the kind of stuff I wanted to talk about and and maybe pitfalls to avoid or conversely things to focus on to help yourself improve as an angler. And one of those is important, first of all, or is obvious, but not obvious at the same time. And that is chasing fishing reports. If I don't read fishing reports, the reason I don't read fishing reports at all, and I suggest that you don't read fishing reports, is because my report and your report from the giving the same day on the same lake will be completely different uh, every time. And so if, all you gotta do is look at a, a tournament scenario, right? There's a hundred guys in the lake. They all launch at the same time. They're all fished for the same amount of hours under the same rules. The guy that won is going to have a completely different fishing report than the guy that finished last. But you don't know which guy you are, so to speak, when you read that report. Am I, is that guy fish similar to me or not? And he might even tell you how he caught him. He might say, well, I caught 35 fish on a jig. That's great. Was it a skirted jig, a swim jig, uh, a curl tail jig, a tube jig, uh, you know, a, a, a straight tail jig, whatever. Was he retrieving it high in the water column? Was it on the bottom? Was he fishing it vertically? Was it going horizontally? I mean, all of those nuances matter. So if you read the report and says this guy caught 35 fish on a jig and then you go to the lake and you throw a jig, first of all, you could be any one of the jigs, as I already said. He could be throwing any specific nuance of things for, for one or the other. And it could be, you know, just a whole, there's just too many variables at the end of the day for a fishing report to be 
to be uh, a really useful tool. The one thing I do look at always is condition reports. So is the water rising? Is the water falling? Is the water muddy? What's the temperature of the water? Maybe was it recently stocked or whatever the scenario is might there. So I'll look at the condition report, but I could not possibly care less how people are catching their fish because I'm going to go fish how I fish because that's the only way for me to be consistent. So trying to catch another guy's fish is very difficult. And you don't want to go to a lake with a negative mindset because you read a, a poor fishing report. Or conversely, you don't want to go there full of confidence because the guy said he smashed him on a jig, but you don't know what the nuances of that jig were and you can't catch him on it. So very important that you don't get pigeonholed into chasing fishing reports they're going to change day to day too. A guy, you know, yesterday the fishing might've been great. Today it won't be. This morning, the fishing was fantastic on my home lake. It's not right this minute, but you don't know that. And conversely, a guy might, might have struggled this morning and catch him this afternoon. So you really need to not chase fishing reports. Along the same line, um, don't, get suckered into thinking you have to have one of each as far as lures. Now, as a professional angler, it's my job <laughs> as a sponsored angler to tell you you need one of every lure. I'm not going to tell you that because you don't. What you really need to do is focus on a cross-section of multi-species genre lures and learn how to present them well. And you don't have to carry one of each. You don't have to have every color. You don't have to have every size. For instance, a multi-species lure for me, the most Multi-species, at least in terms of hard baits go, for me, is a jerk bait without question. Uh, I did carry one box, one Plano 3700 box in my boat, and that's it. There's maybe 30 of them in it. I don't carry a tremendous number of them, even though it's my most important hard lure. Same thing with jigs. I carry one small box of jig heads. The biggest reason it's got so many in it as it does is you snag and lose them. Otherwise, I could get away with about half the box I have. I don't carry a tremendous number of jigs, even though I'm of the opinion that the most universal lure of all is a jig, because I can fish at any depth, any speed, horizontal, vertical, or anywhere in between. I can change the body, the shape, the color, the smell, anything. It's most universal of all. I still don't carry a lot of them because it comes down to how I work it. So to, to sum up that concept, Pick some lures that are very much multi-species and learn to present them well rather than feeling like you have to carry one of everything out there because you don't have to carry everything out there. And I'm living proof of that. I might get in the truck and go to the Ozark Mountains and fish here this summer. We're going to do this for a week. I'm still not going to carry a, a ton of tackle even though we might be fishing for stripers, uh, crappies, bass, walleyes, the same day. We might even go to the White River and fish in the river uh, on that trip. But again, I'm not going to carry a, a stupid number of lures. I'm going to carry instead my very much multi-species lures and focus on presenting them well. Another common mistake I see is people not balancing their tackle to their lure. And this is a really common one. And maybe it's because I'm in Colorado, but I have a lot of people that show up when I as a guide, I strongly prefer people fish with my tackle because it's rare if they bring their own tackle that it's appropriate for what we're doing. Most commonly, it's too light, meaning the rod is too soft or not, not crisp enough to be good at what we're doing. And so matching your tackle uh, to your lures is very important. And if you're narrowing your lures down, it's easier to keep your 
rods appropriate for what you're doing as well. And the rod reel and line, or the rod, excuse me, the rod lure and line go together very, very importantly. And if your number of lure genres, or your you know, number of lures overall is less, the number of rods you need to present them well is less too. And so you can spend less money on rods in terms of total numbers of them and make sure you get a rod that's appropriate. So my most expensive rod is my jig rod because it's my most versatile tool. So my jig rod, is if that's my most versatile bait, it makes sense it's going to be in my hand a lot, which means my jig rod's going to be in my hand a lot, which means I need to have a good jig rod, also a jig re- reward sensitivity. So... I need to have a good jig rod, but I don't carry a bajillion lures, so I don't need a bajillion rods. So make sure your rod and reel line are sized to your lure. That's important as well. Another one that I feel like is probably the most important, in fact, I probably should have started with this one, uh, is focus on your casting. When I'm interviewing clients before I take them in the boat. I always want to talk to people before I take them because I want to have some understanding of what their level of skill and experience is before I can decide how we're going to fish on any given day. And usually the first thing I do is pull somebody out in the open water in the boat when we get in the boat and I make them make a few casts. And the reason is this, I always ask if they're a good caster or not because I actually don't want to tell you why just yet, but I always ask people who are good casters. And invariably, people say, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been fishing my whole life. Well, that doesn't mean you're a good caster. That just means you've been doing it a long time. If you haven't been focused on being accurate and with control, you're not going to be a great caster. And I can tell you right now that great casting, accuracy and line control will catch you more fish than all the rest of the lures out there. And you can't be accurate and in control if your rod doesn't match your lure. I'll throw that little detail out there. But you also can't be be accurate and in control if you just don't practice it or concentrate on it. So I see that's the most common problem amongst anglers in my guide boats. Now, I'll take a guy... Yeah, I've been fishing my whole life. I grew up in Minnesota. I've been fishing my whole life. Okay, great, fantastic. I put him in the boat. I hand him a topwater bait and tell him to throw it up near the bank somewhere. And the thing lands 20 feet from the bank. That's not going to catch him very many fish, given the banks around here are very, very steep, and fish sit right on them. Next guy throws it 20 feet in the tree. Well, we catch a ton of fish every year, but almost all of them are in the lake. We almost never catch them in the trees. So, you know, you got to be able to present the lure accurately and with control. And what I find is the overwhelming majority of people cannot do that, and they overstate their skill set. If you can't hit a three-foot circle on a consistent basis on an average cast, don't take this wrong. You can hate me if you want, but you're not a very good caster. And I guarantee you the guy that can make a 10-inch circle instead of a 3-foot circle is going to catch more fish than you on, on the overwhelming majority of the days. Unless you're just straight up open water vertical fishing for lake trout or something, casting accuracy is going to count. And line control is going to count always. So unattended open bales not going to catch you very many fish tons of slack line not going to catch you very many fish line that's too tight also not going to catch you very many fish so learning where that control level is very very important in my opinion the most important of all don't uh, make the mistake of just lobbing casts out there thinking hey i'm in the ballpark i've got a bait in the water if you want to prove as an angler improve your casting skills and your line control incidentally and yes this is a gratuitous plug we've got some excellent videos on our youtube channel that will help you with that where i break down just the fundamentals of casting accuracy and control 
Go check them out. It'll help you out if you truly want to learn uh, how to be a better caster for casting, particularly for casting artificial baits. Now, another very common scenario uh, or question um, that I get uh, is is always about how do I adjust to conditions? Uh, you know, oh, well, the wind's blowing. What are you doing the wind's blowing? That goes back to casting accuracy or line control too, just for the record, the wind does. But fishing to your conditions and how to adapt to them requires two things. One, you being open-minded because adapting to conditions or fishing various conditions means you have to be open to the fact that something might change in a hurry. You might very quickly have a change in your conditions that you need to adapt to. I can't really teach you that, but I can teach you the importance of it or I can convey the importance of it so that you will focus on it. So for me, uh, a change might be this. Um, you know, I'm trying to adapt in a hurry, right? I'm catching fish, I'm catching fish. Now the wind comes up and I'm not catching fish. How do I adjust to that? Or conversely, the wind's blowing like crazy and then it settles down in the evening and now you're not catching fish. Same thing. Adjusting to those things requires you having a very open mind for one and then for two, and this is the bigger part, being observant enough to recognize that something changed. And that's what I notice a lot of people they just seem to be oblivious to what's going on on, on a given day. The most, uh, the most successful outdoorsmen in general, not even just fishermen, but hunters and fishermen I know are also the most observant as to all the nuances and the conditions that are going on around them. And again, that's not something I can teach other than you need to learn to focus on it. So over the years, I've fished with a lot of really high-end anglers, and I've hunted with some really high-end guys as well. And like, as I said, they're just very, very observant about noticing all this stuff. You know, the heron sitting on the bank, but now that heron's walking down the bank and feeding. Okay, well, something changed. Now there's bait fish available. And somebody's going to say, oh, the heron got hungry. No, nope, the heron feeds when the conditions fit the heron. Uh, and so all of a sudden he's up and feeding. The seagulls have been roosted all day and now they're up and doing their thing or the pelicans as the case might be. Um, that's a change. You might not see it in terms of the weather, but the birds felt it and that's a key sign. One of them that people laugh at me about but I've used a ton in deer hunting is when all the cows are laying around, it's a safe bet, so are all the deers. But when all the cows start getting up and moving, well, there's some sort of a weather change going on, and it's a good bet that the deer are going to do the same thing. That's the same concept. So using other wildlife to help you gauge the wildlife you're trying to catch is really, really important. Uh, another thing that's a key key thing that I see people do is they focus on, people say, oh, find the bait, find the fish. Well, what bait am I looking for? My home lake happens to be famous for the fact that it has a lot of smelt in it, rainbow smelt. But that's a small percentage of the food source. So if you get pigeonholed into chasing that one, because that's the one everybody talks about, you might be fishing for fish that are a lot harder to catch than the fish that are eating, say, crayfish, which you know then are feeding on the bottom. Smelt could be feeding 40 feet down. They could be on the surface. They could be anywhere in between. They could be in open water. They could be on the bank. If you're focusing on that fish, they're hard to catch, uh, the fish that are feeding on them. But those same species of smallmouth bass that are feeding on smelt might be feeding on shad somewhere else in the lake or crayfish somewhere else in the lake. So focusing on that food source. So 
the, the whole find the bait, find the fish thing can be sketchy. And, and a classic example of this is uh, fish that are busting on bait that you can see, uh, typically year-old shad on the surface. That's a classic one. You'll get white bass that are blowing through them and walleyes feeding with them. And you see all that, and everyone chases those. But but they catch average fish. The big fish are feeding on the two-year-old or three-year-old shad that are big and aren't on the surface. Being observant to what kind of bait possibilities you have and being open-minded about it are going to be important in terms of bait fish and not getting pigeonholed into any one. There's been very common scenarios. We were in Kansas at a lake that was choked full of shad. I flayed a couple of walleye, and those walleye had crayfish in their bellies, not shad. And it, again, that's going to dictate where you fish. So keep that in mind. That's a key one there uh, is, is focusing on which bait or whatever. Another really good one, and this is a funny one for me, is um, learning to fish around boat ramps and busy areas in general on purpose. Uh, a lot of guys put the boat in the water, and then they run as far as they can get from the boat ramp. Well, I'd be willing to bet you there's a whole bunch of fish right around the boat ramp. In almost all scenarios, there's fish right around the boat ramp. That doesn't mean that's the best place to fish, but it's the first place for you to figure out how you need to fish for the day or maybe where you're looking. So if the fish that are around the boat ramp, because there's always a percentage of them, if those fish are shallow, well, maybe I'm going to go shallow. If they're out off the end of the ramp, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more concentrated on deeper water. Are they suspended or are they sitting right on the ramp? The, so catching a few of them around the ramp will give you a gauge of the mood of the fish, where, how they're wanting to, to set up in the water column, uh, and maybe even what they'll bite. So a lot of times for me, if I don't know anything about a lake, uh, first thing I'm going to do is put the boat in the water and just fish right there and see if I can gauge a few things first before I go running around looking, looking at what the rest of the lake looks like. That can be a big one. Uh, another very common mistake uh, or scenario I see guys doing is they're married to a spot. They're going to, or, or, or big working big sections of lake instead of recognizing that the fish you just caught was on a small spot per se. And how do I duplicate that? So being hard headed, I've been catching fish here and now I'm not, and I'm staying here or I caught them here last week and now I'm going to catch them here this week. If the fish are there, either your fish or your graph will tell you in a hurry. If you don't have but feedback from a graph, say you're fishing from the bank, well, if you fish for half an hour, the scenario is not played out, you need to move. For me, it's more like 10 minutes. Like if I can't catch a fish in 10 or 12 minutes of trying on a spot, I'm going to a different spot. And I'm probably gonna change styles of spots even. So let's say I'm fishing a point and I'm not catching any fish on it. Instead of just going to the next point, I might go to the next to a gravel bar, or I might go to a flat, or I might go to something different than that point all the way around. And I might fish three or four different kinds of spots before I figure out which one is the best for me, and then I will duplicate those spots going forward. So not being married to a spot and being afraid to leave it, or conversely, ricocheting all over the place and going to all kinds of spots without giving anyone enough time to produce is just as bad. So focusing on when do I stay and when do I go uh, is a big deal. That's a hard one, and I've kind of summarized it in, in, you know, in a few sentences here. But realistically, it's kind of like the, the conditions thing. It's more about focusing on the on having a conscious decision of when I'm gonna move or am I gonna stay? And did something change or did, my, did I put my fish off? Did the weather change? What's the situation? Do I need to move or, or can I stay here and catch more fish? So 
um, when to stay and when to go. That's a tough one, but it's something that I really feel like you need to concentrate on. It's going to take you a long time to be good at, just like it takes a long time to be really good at casting accuracy and line control. Um, but you need to really concentrate on on that should I stay or should I go concept uh, with with changing spots or not changing spots, as the case might be. So keep that in mind. Uh, another one that I think is really key is... Um, basically the commonalities of, or common knowledge, let's just say. So, for instance, let's say you're a bass fisherman. Oh, post-cold front. Well, I got a fish slow. It's a cold front. Well, maybe, and that may be a high percentage thing. Let's say 70% of the time you got a fish slow, but 30% of the time you don't. So I always will try to start with the fastest presentations I can and see if the fish will bite. If they won't, then I'll slow down. So it doesn't matter to me if, if the temperature just dropped 40 degrees and you know it's springtime and we had a cold front. And the fit, I'm still going to try to work something quick first and see if I can get fish to react. Because one of the things that'll happen when fish are negative is they'll just pounce on stuff on a, on a pure um, instinct bite. And well, if that'll work, then I can get away with that. I can catch more fish. I'm gonna make the fish force me to slow down. Conversely, you may be like, wow, there's storm front blowing in and da 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 da, it's perfect conditions. Holy crap, it's warm out. We can fish really aggressively. Well. Maybe, again, 70% of the time you can, but 30% of the time you can't. So don't let the book dictate to you how you're going to fish. I lost a tournament to a guy one time in Kansas in April, early April. Water temperatures were in the high 40s to low 50s. He absolutely nuked them all afternoon on a buzz bait. Now, if you're a bass fisherman, you're not probably throwing a buzz bait in the high 40s or low 50s. The book certainly is going to tell you not to. But this guy threw the book out the window and threw it and got a bite. And his whole thing was, well, sometimes they just want something really fast on the surface and blah, 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 blah. He was correct. He made me look silly in the boat because it's. I'm looking at the conditions going, it's cold water. I'm going to throw a little tiny bait, throw it real slow because that's what the book says. And I was wrong. And not only that, but I was slow to adapt to what he was doing on top of it, which made me hard-headed. So I just convinced every time he caught another fish, well, he's, there's no way he's going to catch another one. There's no way he's going to catch another one. And guess what? He kept catching them all afternoon. Meanwhile, I kept struggling. So being open-minded about what the book says and not taking it as the gospel, but taking it as a guideline. There's no wrong answers in fishing, but some answers are better than others. And... If you ask 100 bass, pro bass fishermen, tournament bass guys, is a buzz bait the right bait in you know, 49 degree water, they're going to say no. Almost all of them are going to say no. But they would have lost this fishing tournament, I can tell you that, because this guy drilled them with it. So you've got to keep that in mind too. Another one that's a common one is, uh, and this one's, this one's almost like a pet peeve of mine, and I don't know why, but this is the last one I'm going to give you here, and that is pigeonholing baits for... Uh, specific specific uh, species of fish, right? So this is a bass lure, and this is a trout lure, and this is a walleye lure. No, 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 they're not. They're multi-species lures. And the guy that has to swap all of his tackle out because he's going bass fishing versus walleye fishing, for me, is a guy that's, that's trying too hard. Uh, the reality is it goes back to where I started with the focus on some key presentations that are known to be multi-species and be good at them rather than 
pigeonholing baits for for one thing or another. And the classic or the most classic one for me is trout. The guy's like, well, that's too big or that's too shiny or that whatever for trout. No, they're not. Your bass box will get if you're if you're a let's say you're a uh, Midwest bass guy and you're coming to Colorado to visit and you want to catch some trout. Well. You got every lure you need. You already got them. You don't need to buy anything else. You've got the lures you need in your box, I promise you. But the reality is most guys think, oh, I got to go buy some trout lures. Well, okay, maybe. But I'd be willing to bet you don't. So keep that in mind as well. So guys, that's the gist of what I wanted to talk about is the, the, the common problems or the commonality questions of things that I get over and over again. And let me just say again, there's no wrong answers in fishing. These are my answers. You do you. But if if you have an open mind, you're good with your casting accuracy and line control, you're good with a cross-section of multi-species bait, baits, lures in general, you are observant to conditions and willing to change with them and you're cognizant or you're trying to make a calculated approach as to when you change uh, locations, uh, you're going to be better off as an angler all the way around. And over time, if you focus on those fundamental things, you'll get to be the best angler you can be. So I appreciate you guys tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. As I already mentioned, we'd really love it if you'd join our social media at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, uh, or excuse me, TikTok and YouTube. I would appreciate that very much. And again, stop in and visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse or visit them at sportsmans.com. If you want to book a guide trip with us, that would be wonderful. You can do that at fishfulthinker.com. I'll take you out, put you in the boat, and we can talk about this and more. So I appreciate you tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance.